like to look with us. We're in the seventh chapter of John. Uh, we're down near the close of the chapter. Jesus here has been in Jerusalem at the Feast of the Tabernacles. He's been teaching in the temple. Uh, and they have argued and debated with Him. The Pharisees got officers together and sent them to arrest Jesus and come down to 45. And I realize we looked at some of this last time. And the officers returned. They've not arrested Him. They asked, why did you not bring Him to us? And they said, no man has spake like this man. This man, when he sits down and begins to expound the Scriptures, he speaks in a manner and in a way, and it's not dialect, and it's not the way his voice sounds, but his words have the weight of the Holy Ghost upon them. And when we hear him teach, we've never heard anything like that in all of our lives. Now that was the witness of unbelieving officers of the Sanhedrin court. Even they said, there's something about this man that is radically different and yet blind to who that he truly was. And the Pharisees in 47, 48, are you also deceived? None of the rulers have believed on him. And if you're not careful, you'll fall into that trap. Now here were, these were the top of the top of Israel. If you put it in our, uh, in our day and in our time, these are the chiefs, not, not deacons and pastors of a local church. These are like the French Broad Association, the president and the VP and uh, the, the tops of the top of the religion in this day. And they say, look, how can you believe on them? How could you believe on Him? None of us have. And isn't that the way the devil works? That he uses, he uses the all of man towards these positions to draw them away from the work of God and the Word of God. Well, so-and-so does it. This preacher says this. And so that's the way we're going to do it. Well, that's good if it's the truth. But if it's not the Word of God, then certainly we're making error. Have any of the rulers believed? This people that know not the law, they're cursed. So that's what they said about these people that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't know the law, and they're cursed, and that's why they believe. So the devil says, you don't want to be a part of that crowd, do you? You want to be with us because we're the elites. We're the best. And we looked at all of the Scripture in the early days of the earth, in Noah's day. The men of renown and the giants and the mighty men, they were all from the mixture of the world. You look in Moses' day when Korah rebelled against Moses and Aaron. It was the princes and the chief men and the nobles of the congregation that stood with Korah. In Absalom's day, there was a priest, there was some of the elite of David's men that rose up in rebellion against David. And in the book of Revelation, there is the beast who the world marvels at, the false prophet. There they are. 
And again, it's man looking to man. But these people, they're cursed. So they said, none of us believe. But in verse number 50, Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night being one of them. So Nicodemus is part of this Sanhedrin court. He is one of the rulers of Israel. He is one of the religious elite. And just in case we didn't recognize him, or just in case we thought, well, this must be another fella here, he tells us this is the man that came to Jesus by night. So we said then, out of all of the leaders, this appears to be the only man that came to him for instruction. But he come at night at a time when he hoped to not be seen with the Lord. They were so hateful towards Jesus and towards his teaching If you were caught following him, you would be thrown out of the synagogue. And it's more than just being churched and being thrown out of the church, but the whole economy there. I mean, you were thrown out. If you had a job working for a Jew, they cut you off and excommunicate you, your job's gone. So what they did carried weight. And Nicodemus, for fear, came by night. And this is what Nicodemus says. Doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? Now that doesn't sound that doesn't sound very weighty, does it? What he says is, wait a minute, we can't cast judgment on somebody before we hear him and know what he's doing. We would say today, you can't have uh, a penalty except there be due process. We're going to have to have a trial. There's going to have to be lawyers involved. There's going to be an argument. It's going to be before a judge. It's going to be before a jury. There's going to be evidence provided. You don't just up and kill somebody. There's got to be a trial and due process. And so that's what Nicodemus says here. And you think, well, that doesn't, that doesn't mean much. But listen at how they respond to him. They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. So what he says sounds like it stirs them up. So you say, well, I don't see where he got born again in chapter 3. Well, we're seeing a glimpse of a work of God in Nicodemus right here. That in the midst of the religious elite here... He's going to rise up and stand against the crowd, so to speak. He's going to speak in favor of the Lord. He he deserves a trial. They weren't interested in justice. They weren't interested in the right thing being done. They were interested in this man being destroyed. Is that not how evil works in the mind and in the heart of man? It doesn't matter what's right. It doesn't matter what's good. It doesn't matter what the Word of God says. It's it's what I want to be done. And that's the way they were here. They didn't want a trial. And when it came time for the Lord Jesus to be crucified, they had so many false witnesses making up stories. The Bible says none of their witnesses matched up. They knew this. They weren't seeking after justice. They were just looking for something good enough that we can kill him. And that's the way 
the wicked heart of man is. But Nicodemus, who was one of them, it looks like they were wrong. They said none of us believe. Looks like Nicodemus believes. And their answer was, Are you of Galilee? Search and look. For there's no prophet that comes out of Galilee. Now, those words were true. You search the Old Testament, and the prophet, the Messiah, the king, he was not to come out of Galilee. It was prophesied that he would be of Bethlehem. That from David, Bethlehem, Judah, the king would be born and be brought into this world. So we know the whole story, and I have a hard time believing that they didn't know the whole story. But because Jesus lived in Galilee, they said, He can't be the one. He doesn't live in Bethlehem, even though He was born in Bethlehem. Out of Bethlehem was where the Savior was born. If, if there's no desire to understand and believe the Bible, then it doesn't matter how plainly that the Bible states it. If there's no desire to believe it, we will not believe it. If there's no desire to, uh, to come to it, then we'll make excuse for it. They could say, well, wait a minute, he was born in Bethlehem during the time of the census that Caesar had called. Yeah, but I believe that scripture means that he's going to live there and Jesus don't live there. Boy, that's cutting hairs awful thin, ain't it? That's making it be whatever I want it to be to fulfill my purpose and my desire. And so in opposition to him they were. And every man went to his own house so in Deuteronomy 19, the judges shall make a diligent inquisition. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall you do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother. So this is Old Testament law. So a witness has brought a charge, maybe two witnesses, have brought a charge and the judges, their job then is to make diligent inquisition. Sounds like what we would say is a thorough investigation. They're going to go and check this story and check this witness to be sure that what they're hearing is the truth. You know what the judge's job is to do? To get to the truth and judge based on that. Not whether they paid me off or not. Not whether I know their family or not. Not whether they're in my political party or not. But to make judgment based on the law and on the truth of the situation. That's the way God designed the whole Old Testament law. But here they're not interested in truth. They're not interested in trial. They pretend to love the law. They pretend to love God, but when it comes to the law of a diligent inquisition, they don't even want to hear what this man's got to say. We don't even want a trial. We want him dead. We want him out of the way. 
So they break up. Every man goes to his own house. And Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. So the Mount of Olives. In Luke 21, 37, this is what you read. And in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple. And at night, he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives lies east of Jerusalem, I believe, towards Bethany where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. And it was in the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed the night before his execution. That was in the Mount of Olives. And it appears that Jesus' habit was... Remember, the fox have holes, the fowls have nests, the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. And so it looks like while he's in Jerusalem, he spends the days down at the temple, down at the church, teaching the Word of God, and at night he's sleeping at the Mount of Olives. And that appears to be his habit all through his ministry as he comes to Jerusalem. And so here, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. So you see the industry of the Lord Jesus. He's not wasting a moment of his time that he has on the earth. But he's rising up early and he's coming to the temple and he begins to teach. And the way it looks, the way it says in Luke, sounds like he's there all day. You need some instruction? You got a question? The Lord was there in the temple to answer, to teach, to instruct and to help. And is not the Word of God proclaimed today to the benefit and to the good of man? And look at how little the Word of God is thought of in our world today. But know this, the Lord. The Lord's going to get to the temple early and He's going to be there all day long that there might be instruction, that His Word might be going out, that man could be benefited from the knowledge of the truth. Now, we're about to read a very familiar story. There's no need in getting way off in the weeds. I'm not a scholar and none of you are either in the Word of God. But there is debate about these next few verses through 11, verse 11, that this story was a late addition to the Scriptures. Uh, some say, and, and you know, we have copies of the Greek New Testament from before 100 A.D. and on. There's many different manuscripts, many different copies. And that's a great thing. Because when people say, well, the Word of God's been corrupted over the years, well, we can go back to the early days of the church and find manuscripts of the Bible. And in some of the earliest, these verses aren't there. In some of the later manuscripts, they're at the end of the Bible, the end of John. And in some, they're earlier than this place. So if you hear that stuff, you know, there's stuff like that you can hear that, that may throw you for a loop. But we have these verses here in our Bibles today. There's nothing doctrinally wrong with them. I don't see any reason as far as I see to throw them out and say, well, we're not going to read those. I do think the meaning of this is sometimes twisted. 
But some Bibles may say this isn't in early manuscripts. Well, that's, that's why that that's written there. But verse number 3, and let's read through 11 and just read this whole account here. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, beginning being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So Jesus here, he's in the temple. They knew where to find him. They knew where he would be. And I, I believe predictable would be the schedule of our Lord. Where's he going to be? He's going to be at the temple teaching. Where's he going to be at night? Remember Judas went out while they were still in the upper room. Where's he going to be tonight that we might arrest him? He's going to be in the garden. And so here, Jesus is in the temple. They catch this woman, as the Scripture says. She's taken in adultery, and they're going to say, in the very act. So maybe it's graphic, but she must have been sleeping with a man that was married to another woman, or she was married herself and was sleeping with another man. And she's caught here in the very act. Now whether it was the husband that caught her or the wife of the other that caught her, I have no idea how that happened. But she's caught. She's taken in the act. There were witnesses sufficient, remembering this, that the law required two or three witnesses in order to put somebody to death. Because if I didn't like you... If it was just one witness, I could say, well, I've seen them do this. And you're dead. And that could be a very nasty thing, couldn't it? So the law required two or three witnesses testifying the same thing in order for the death penalty to be brought about. So they must have had the witnesses that saw this woman in the very act of adultery. Now... What does the law say about that? Leviticus 20, verse 10. The man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. I'm going to read that last part again. The adulterer and the adulteress. 
shall surely be put to death. What's wrong with that? With what we're seeing here? The man's missing. So there's, there's something wrong in the first place. Some historians say, well, uh, adultery was very rampant in this day and in this hour. And so Jesus' teachings in regards to that was very much against the grain of the way the world behaved itself in this day. And there has been times that the world has been very uncivilized. And there's places today where the world is very uncivilized. There is. It's like that today in much of our world. And so here, they've brought the woman. Where's the man at? That's the first question. Was he a friend? Was he one of them? Did they exclude him because of it? I don't know the answer to that. But the law certainly says when they are caught in this act, they are to be put to death. So just focusing on the woman now, forgetting them leaving the man, wherever he was, out of it. She was caught in the act. There were witnesses of this. What does the law say? What should happen to the woman? She should be put to death. That was the prescription of the law. They were not wrong, were they? They were right. That was what the law of Moses said to do. And you know why that was? To protect the family unit. And so God made that law in the beginning that in Israel the family unit be protected. And so here they brought her and they said, Master, we know in verse number 5 and verse number 6, this they said tempting him. So they're not worried about the woman. They don't care about her. But they thought, we've got him now. We're going to bring this woman to her, we, this woman to Jesus. We know what the law says, and I don't think he's going to want her put to death. So we're going to catch him here as a, being a teacher against the law of Moses. Remember, that's, that was their big accusation against him. Because he healed on the Sabbath day, he was a breaker of the law of Moses. He did not keep the law. They wanted to prove him as a heretic. Somebody that did not teach the Old Testament. And they thought, this, this is how we're going to get him. So they barge in where the Lord's sitting down teaching. They throw this woman down in the middle of it. And maybe there's witnesses there that say, we saw her in the very act of it. And they say, now Jesus, the law says, Moses said she ought to die. What do you say? Do you agree with the law? Are you going to teach the law? Are you going to support what God told Moses? Are you going to contradict it? See, it's, it's a tense place to be stuck in. They're trying him. That's what they're doing. But they're not trying him in this regard. They're not interested in some truth. 
They're not looking to be instructed or to learn something. You see that over and over in Luke 11 verse 53. And as he said these things unto them, the scribes and Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. They're not looking for the truth but they're just trying to get him to slip up somewhere. Say one thing that's wrong so that we can have you killed. You look into the Scriptures to find fault? Well, that's the way they did with the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they came to try to convict Him. And as they make these accusations, Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. There's no behavior like this in the rest of the Gospels. So there, there could be a lot of speculation. You could say, well, I believe he was writing the law. Well, I believe he was writing their sins. Maybe he was writing their faults. Laws that they had broken. That's all speculation. And I, I do believe this. I believe if he had been writing something like that that would have really mattered, that John may have may just have told us what he was writing. But we don't know what Jesus was writing. So it must not be important to the story. The important part is he's acting like he didn't even hear them. He's ignoring the situation. Now here comes these folks. They hate Jesus. They've got this woman caught dead to rights. She deserves to die of the law. They brought her in and they said, we've got him now. We'll get him on this one. They've made their case and Jesus don't even look at them. So what do they do? When they continued asking. They keep on. They keep on. They're getting angrier. They're getting louder. They're saying, what's wrong? Why can't you answer? Don't you want to contradict the law? Remember, he's accused of being blasphemous to the Old Testament Scriptures. And so, when they continued, he lifted up and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And he stooped back down. Does he make any judgment here? He does not disagree with the law of Moses. He doesn't say, well, that's not really what it meant. He makes no judgment whatsoever about the law. But he says this, if you've not broken a commandment worthy of death, then let that one first cast a stone. I believe there's your message of this, this little story. Man wants to be so harsh in judgment. Man wants to be so down on one another. Man wants to hate one another. And so God says, if you are without sin, you be the first one to stone her. And 
beginning at the eldest to the least. I believe you could say a few things there. The older, they've lived longer, they've committed more sin. But I'd like to think like this, the elder's just a little bit wiser. And the elder man, the oldest man in the company there, he thinks, you know what? I've sinned and I'm worthy of death. And I'm not able to cast a stone. And the oldest one, the leader, he turns and leaves. And you see, it says here, being convicted, refuted is what that word means. There's been a conviction in the heart. They went out one by one. You know what they everyone admitted right here? That by the law, they were all worthy of death. They admitted that right here. Look at how quickly this turned, and we'll look at a few scriptures in a minute, but I want you to look at how this turned. They were bringing her in there to catch the Lord Jesus to say something wrong. And now they've all walked out admitting that they were worthy of death themselves. So are we not worthy of death? It's easy to sit in the high seat when somebody's caught in the act. But I wonder, the Lord who knows the hearts and the minds of every single person in the house of God, are we not all faulty? Are we not all weak? Do we do everything like we ought to do in every situation? Are we not all individually and collectively worthy of death? So do you reckon I ought to think about that before I cast a stone in somebody else's lap? He that is without sin, a very, a very quick sentence here. Jesus didn't speak for more than five, ten seconds. But the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. He stooped and writing. He stands and speaks and he stoops and writes again. He's not looking at people's eyes. He's not making accusations. He's not calling out sins. He speaks this and the Holy Ghost is working in them. That's the way it worked for those that are saved. The gospel went out. The Holy Spirit convicted and wrought in our hearts revealing our sin to us. A discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. In Matthew chapter 7, now I've had questions about this scripture before. I believe you can see the manifestation of it in John chapter 8. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. So here's what the Lord said. Is she worthy of death? Sure. Are you going to be the one to put her to death? Go ahead. But know this, if that's the way you're going to treat your fellow man, 
that, that same judgment is going to be measured out to you. We're going to be brought the same way. In Romans chapter 2, Thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same things. Now who is he talking about here? Is there anybody that this does not apply to? You're going to be a judge? You're going to cast down? You're going to be cruel? You're going to say, wait a minute, they're worthy of it. Well, are you not worthy of it as well? And again he stooped, allowing the Word of God to take effect in their hearts. So in Psalm 9.15, the heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. So what's happened? They laid a trap to catch the Lord Jesus in His words. And yet now they've been caught in their trap. God says that's the way it's going to work all through the Old Testament. The cruelty of man leads to his own downfall and destruction. So, where are those thine accusers? So when the Lord looks up again, everybody that was accusing this woman is gone. And it's just her and the Lord. And the Lord says, where are those thine accusers? Is there anybody that accuses you? And she said, no man, Lord. So every one of them then, from the eldest to the least, they were worthy of death. And the Lord Jesus, in Isaiah 41 verse 11, Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing. They that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them and shalt not find them, even them that contended with thee. They that war against thee shall be as nothing and as a thing of naught. So I believe a prophecy of the Lord Jesus, but also of the eternal victory of the church as well. The church will have enemies all through its days on this earth. We should not be surprised of that. If you're teaching, if you're preaching, there will be enemies that oppose the doctrines that you teach if it's the truth. Because the church is established on enemy territory. This is a world that's covered with darkness. The prince of the power of the air, the god of this world. That's the devil's names in the Bible. So the church has been called out of the enemy's country and the church sits in enemy territory. But know this, those that are incensed, those that battle against the truth, the day's coming that they're going to be made nothing. The Lord Jesus is going to be mocked and jeered on the cross. They're going to make fun. They're going to abuse Him. They're going to spit on Him. They're going to do all manner of evil to Him. 
He's going to rise in victory and they're not going to matter anymore. The press of the devil today on the church. There's a day that the church will be free of that and will rise with the Lord in victory over everything. No more trouble, no more persecution, no more enemies. They'll be as nothing. They'll be as the travail of a woman when the child is born. That'll be forgotten. Our victory, death is going to be swallowed up by the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. She said, No man, and Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So you see the Lord say this earlier in the book as well. He does not say that your faith has made you whole. He does not say that your sins are forgiven. He does not say that she believed in any way on Him. So does this mean she's saved? No, it doesn't. Is the message of this commit adultery because Jesus is going to let it slide? Absolutely not. No, Jesus says, I'm not going to condemn you here, but go and sin no more. What would be the right response to that? Do you think she did that? Did she go and sin no more? Can you go and sin no more? I th- the right answer would have been, Lord, I can't do that. I can't go and sin no more. I need a Savior. That would have been the right response. This does not mean that the woman was saved by this interaction. And I do not believe that that was the purpose of this account here in the Bible to say that, uh, uh, that God is going to allow sins and not condemn them. I don't believe that in the least bit. But I do believe this. The message of this Scripture is that you ought to be thoughtful of your brethren because you yourselves are only here by mercy and long-suffering from God Almighty Himself. And now, I know, I know this, this Scripture's just thrown in the trash a lot of times. But Jesus Himself, when He gave the parable of the man that was forgiven a million dollars, and then He comes to His brother who owed Him five thousand And he said, I'll not forgive him. You you know the Scripture. He said, I want him thrown to the tormentors till he's paid every sin of it. And that if you won't be forgiving with your brethren, then I'll not forgive you. That is the Scripture. So, that's all we'll look at today. We'll pick up there maybe in verse 12 next time. Anybody, any 